0: Well, it's uh, always a joy to um, to share the Word of God with you, and, and I guess this, this morning we are coming to uh, the end of a, of a mini-series that we've been working through the last three weeks where Three weeks ago, I asked the question, uh, what is it we are seeking to see and be as a church? And, and I shared with you at the beginning of the summer, I've been kind of going through a process of asking God some big questions, and it, it's surrounded with, are we, are we as a church fulfilling the mandate that God has given to us? Are we seeing lives transformed like our vision declares? Are we actually seeing that happen in our church? And, uh, and I shared a few weeks ago about how the temple uh, in the Old Testament was a place where the people would gather and they would expect the glory of God to fill the temple and there'd be transformation, there'd be change, there'd be forgiveness, there'd be repentance, and, and then you move through into the New Testament and the Bible's very clear that God's intention for church is, is often very different from what we see our intention for church is. And, the, uh, and I shared a couple of weeks ago about how we have, we have prioritized our preferences over what God's priorities are for church. And so we ask the question, well, what are God's priorities? Um, because if we camp out in our preferences, what we do is we start seeing church through a lens that is actually extremely unhealthy and how as churches, especially in the city, tend to breathe in and out. They breathe in people for a period of time, and then they breathe out people. Uh, and there's this movement from church to church, and, and often I jokingly, but somewhat seriously said that we hyperventilate the, the churches. People who come in and, and leave, come in and leave, and come in and leave. And, and so the question has to be, why is that? And so if we highlight our preferences, then what we do is we come to church and we rate it. We, we start thinking, okay, well, uh, the, the preach was, I'll give the preacher a solid uh, three out of five. And then, well, the children's wasn't exactly how I'd want. And the worship and, and the, the seats actually aren't as comfortable as it could be. And where's, where's my delivered Starbucks and my pedicure? You know, and we start, we start rating church and we go, well, I think I might be able to find what I want down the road, and so we go down the road to that church. And I look at the scriptures, and this was creating a great deal of angst for me, because I'm like, I just don't see that in the Bible. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. So I asked the Lord the question, well, what is your priority? If all we had was your scriptures, no experience, no, uh, no um, um kind of anything we can look back on, or no baggage, nothing at all. We just looked at your Bible, and what the Bible says about church, what what would those priorities be? And immediately it gets challenging, because what I saw and what I shared is in Acts chapter 2, there's a a very clear command, it says this, and they devoted themselves. This this Acts chapter 2 is a great description of God's five-star rated church. This is, this is where God would say, this is my priority. This is my preference. This may not be your preference, but God doesn't seem to get too concerned about what our preferences are. Uh, he, he says, this is what church should look like. And so we looked at this passage, and the very first few words are very, very significant. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. There was a devotion to love what Jesus loves. And in our culture, we find that really hard because we have a culture, a mentality of I'm going to assess and I'm going to judge and I'm going to rate. And if I don't like, I'm going to move on. Whereas this scripture seems to say the opposite, that there was a devotion. There was a commitment. There was a personal decision to commit themselves to this church, to the church that God was 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 creating in the New Testament that really is a great model for us. And then there's this beautiful word, and I made fun of the Canadian accent a little bit uh, in verse 43. It says an "or" or "r," are, are came as in think pirates, and "r" came upon every soul. I know I'm in danger of of making you just all hate me because I'm making fun of your accents, but. You make fun of my accent all the time, so this is the one thing, this is the one time I get to do it. Uh, And awe came upon every soul. It's interesting to me that when there was the devotion to the apostles' teaching and, and the word and mission and prayer, that the same glory that filled the temple in the Old Testament fills the temple in the New Testament. And then we saw that many wonders and signs were being done and, and God added to his church. So I started asking the question, what is God's expectation of us? Well, as this devotion. What does church look like? Well, church looks like being on mission. It means loving one another. It means prayer and you know, works of the Holy Spirit. It means communion. And you can see all this in this passage, that remembering the gospel and, and being centered on the gospel, all these aspects and that they, they, they met in temples, large gatherings, but more than anything it was by home, by home, by home, everyday church. So this isn't church, this is just large gathering, church happens tomorrow morning and it's more than a cliche at the bottom of a nice banner, everyday church, it's actually true that as soon as I say amen at the end of this service, that's when church truly begins. So we looked at Jesus' teaching and Jesus at the end of his ministry in John 13 through to 17, he has his disciples, This is his final words, and he says, listen, you are going to turn the world upside down. It literally says that in Acts, that they are going to turn the world upside down. You're going to do greater things than you have seen over the last three years. And it's to your advantage that I go because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to fill you and if you would just imagine what it must have been going through their minds, that this, this idea of Jesus leaving and yet it's going to get better when he goes must have been such a strange thought for them. And he says, listen, here, here's, your, here's how it's going to work. Here's how you are going to turn the world upside down. And I jokingly last week changed the scriptures a little bit and said Jesus did not then go on to list everything that we seem to list as priority when it comes to church. He doesn't say, you know, we need Disney characters in the children's department. He doesn't say that we need a certain type of worship in order to turn the world upside down. He doesn't say we need a certain type of preaching or a certain type of community group system or a certain anything or as much as we love all those things, those weren't his priority. What was his priority? First and foremost, he tells us in John 15 and verse 10, it says that you are abide in me. You want to know how you're going to turn the world upside down? It's by a personal devotion to abiding in Jesus. That's how we're going to turn the world upside down. But then he doesn't finish there. He says, you know what this abiding looks like? He says this. Let me read it to you. It won't be on the screen. But if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So if we want to abide in the love of Jesus, we need to follow his commandments. And then in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that your joy may be full and that you uh, and then in verse 12, you want to know what my commandment is? You want to know how you're going to abide? Then this is my commandment, that you love one another. And that's what we talked about last week, the power of loving one another. And I said this, according to the scriptures, you cannot love God, you cannot abide in Jesus if you do not love your brother or sister in Christ. First John. For those of you who don't believe me, this is just Bible. By this is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So you cannot love God and hate his church. You'll hear people in our culture say, Oh, I love Jesus, I just don't like church. Ah, uh, sorry. That's not what Jesus said is the way. You have to love his church. You have to love his people in order to love Jesus. That's what the Bible says. That's not what Pastor Glenn says. So I talked about how do we bring that about? Is it by more barbecues and hanging out after church in our little groups? No, it actually happens more often home to home and community groups. Actually living life together. And I celebrated and reminded you of all the... Some of the incredible things that have happened, I reflected on the way that there's this, I truly believe as a church that we, we, we do this well. The support and care for one another is evident in this church. And then I saw this commonality. I saw that where people seem to come shoulder to shoulder and care and love for one another, it happens within community groups. And so I made this declaration that if you are not in a community group, really in some way you are not part of this church. That stings. But what I'm saying is, it's very difficult just to have communion with one another, loving one another, just on a Sunday morning whenever we decide to come to church. And so if we're rating church and saying, well, I don't like this, this, and this, I'm going to move on. You are never going to connect into the true commandment of Jesus. You are never going to truly abide in God. You may not like that, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm just saying, you, if you don't connect in, you don't walk away from family. You might not like them all the time. You know, there might be times you go, man, they are driving me crazy. But you love them. You're committed to them. You stick with them. That's family. That's the church of God. We don't rate. We look at God's priorities, and God's priorities is that we love one another. So that's where we've been. Jesus said, abide and love one another. And then he says something else, and then this resonates all through the New Testament. You see... Let me give you some background. In the the Old Testament, the presence of God filled the temple. And his transformational power filled a room. And it was a beautiful and incredible thing. People came to it. They marveled. There was nothing natural and normal about it. And then in the New Testament, we're told really clearly that Jesus actually said, I'm going to destroy the temple because they had a better plan. He says, "You, you and me are going to be the temple. We are going to be the temple. And then he says it kind of, and I haven't got time to go into all these scriptures, you can research this yourself, but Paul teaches us that not only are we individually the temple, but together, all together, we are also the temple. And then those beautiful scriptures of being bodied together. So in one sense, you are the temple of God, but in a truer sense, we are all the temple of God together. So you remember when I preached a few weeks ago and said, you can't be in isolation and say, I'm fulfilling the command of God because you are not part of a whole you have to be part of a whole which is why church hopping is so debilitating for a christian you need to be part of something that's where we're designed to be so we are the temple of god and so god's glory and transformational power fills you and me individually and together we're gifted we're supernaturally filled Let's look at this scripture. Let me, let me show you what I mean. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 5 to 7. It says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in... Just the pastor, Actually. So, when Paul was saying everyone, he didn't mean everybody. He just meant the the bloke at the front that you pay. That's who he means. Or the really kind of crazy, really committed Christians. That's what he means. Doesn't empower everyone. He just empowers those that he kind of likes more. It doesn't say that. It says everyone. Everyone in Jesus Christ is empowered for. Gifts, varieties of service, and variety of activities. It is the same God who empowers all, all of those things in everyone. Then he carries on. To each is given. Yeah, but not me, Glenn. Because I could never do that. Well, that, that, that's pride, first of all. When you say, oh, no, not me. Why is that? Because probably we're concerned about what people might think, which is pride. Pride. So to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So you have been given this incredible gift. You've been empowered, filled, just like the Old Testament was filled with the glory of God. You have been filled and empowered because you abide. You love one another. You have been given a gift, this incredible Presence of God placed inside of you to do incredible things, inexplicable things, inexplicable church, not things that we can just explain away with, with variety and talent and money, but actual, how on earth is that possible? How is it possible that this person can do that? How is it possible that that happens in that place? And why has God done it to everyone? It's for the common good. So let me just give you some very brief teaching about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because that term can create some angst for some people, depending on your church background. Crazy Pentecostals, baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then we've got the Reformed who kind of... don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit too much because we don't like anything that's outside of our control. Two extremes. So somewhere in the middle... Is where I believe the Bible teaches us. It says very, very clearly that when you become a Christian, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. It says that all the way through. That's what regeneration, you are changed. The Spirit fills you. Paul teaches really clearly on that. But then he also says in Ephesians that we're to continually be filled. So here's a statement that helps us every Christian has the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit doesn't have every Christian. Think about it. We all have the Holy Spirit as a Christian, but the Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily consume us all. doesn't control us all. He says, don't get drunk because that leads to debauchery. That's evil. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. So in the same way that drunkenness and drink controls and consumes a drunkard, he's saying the Holy Spirit should control and consume a Christian. So... When you become a Christian, you are given gifts. Now, depending on your um, your interpretation theologically, there's there's a number of different gifts in the New Testament, as described in Romans and First Corinthians. But uh, roughly speaking, there's about nineteen or twenty spiritual gifts, and you can read them. They're listed. And you can quite helpfully categorize them into word gifts like teaching and and preaching and and exhortation and there's word gifts and then there's mercy gifts which is about giving and mercy and and helps, gifts of helps. And then you've got the power gifts or the manifestation gifts. Those are the gifts like speaking in tongues, interpretation, prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. They would all be in your manifestation power gifts and you've got Mercy gifts and then you've got word gifts. And I've taught on this before because you are, have these gifts. And whenever God wants to use them, they can be used. The point is, my teaching this morning is not on what gift do you have. I'm going to talk about that later. But the point is, is you are gifted for the common good. Every one of you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so you can work in and of yourself, by yourself, with your spiritual gift, or you can join the temple as a whole, and then it really comes alive. It's not just a talent. One of the definitions, and I think this is true, of whether or not what you have is a Holy Spirit gift, is, is, did you have it before conversion? Because what happens at conversion is you are given empowerment. You are given these Holy Spirit gifts. Now what can happen is you can be giving and helpful before you become a Christian. But then it supernaturally gets amped up after you become a Christian. So there's an example of this in Acts chapter 2. Because it says that they sold their possessions for anybody who had needs. So it's like Grant needs something and I have nothing I'm able to give him. So I go and look for stuff to sell to give him something. That's supernatural. That's not normal. That's countercultural. That doesn't happen. That makes people sit up and go, I've never seen anything like that before. Now, I might have been giving before a Christian, but that supernatural side of giving is there you may have been a very discerning person before you became a Christian but after you become a Christian suddenly you have a depth of discernment spiritually that you can just walk into a room and you just know something weird happened there or you can talk to somebody and all you're seeing is a moving mouth because your brain and spirit is going what you are seeing is not what you're getting right now I'm hearing you say stuff but I know there's a whole host of stuff going on in your life right now so you might have been discerning before but it gets amped up after I'd love to jump more deeply into each of the spiritual gifts, but here's what I want you to know more than anything. Two things. We need you and your shocking gift. We need you. We can't do well without you. Sitting on the fringe saying, hmm, no, no is not the way you were designed as a Christian. You are never going to feel the abiding, peaceful, restful presence of God in your life until you tie in and connect and be used in the body for the common good and used in the community for the wider good. We need you. And your shocking gift. Your gift that God has given you. Because you need to understand, if you don't agree with me as a Christian, what you're actually doing is not agreeing with the word of God. You have a shocking gift and we need it. And we miss you when you don't use it. A number of years ago when we were first married, Sarah and I went to visit my grandmother who um, was was quite, quite the character. Um, she was quite a formidable lady. And... Uh, Pretty scary, and you always felt like you had to sit on the edge of your seat in case you did something wrong. You were just always on tender hooks, waiting for her to kind of um, kind of just point something out. You always left feeling uptight. Everything clenched. You know, it was that kind of person. And so this was the first time that we'd really gone on an official royal visit with my wife to go and see... My grandma, and so we were sat, and grandma, bless her, even though she was, she just was that kind of nature. She, she did try her best in lots of different ways. So I'm not being critical, but it's important you understand that's her character. Um, and so she offered us um, some 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 apple pie, and uh, and I said, no, I'm I'm fine, thanks, grandma. You know, I had something earlier on, and Sarah, being Sarah. Number one, liking apple pie. She's not here, so I have to be careful, but her spies are among us. Um, <laughs> I know Pete Hannenberg will be texting right now. By the way, let me just, a little segue. You know how I made fun of Pete Bennett a few weeks ago, who wasn't here for giving us two out of five stars on Facebook? Pete, the other Pete, symmetrically over there, had texted him before the end of the sermon, snitching on me. Just like Love you bless you, supernaturally gifted in some way, I'm trying to figure that out, but anyway, um, Sarah said, yeah, I'll have a piece of apple pie, that would be lovely, I'm like, oh no, thank you very much, so the apple pie comes, so here's the thing, my grandma was famous, sorry, not apple pie, rhubarb pie, very important, rhubarb pie, my grandma was famous for believing that you didn't need sugar, so, <laughs> yes, so, Sarah got her apple pie. I'm fine. Thank you, Grandma. <laughs> Sarah started tucking into her rhubarb pie. And then, oh my goodness. So she just wolfed the thing down as quickly as she could, just like bad medicine. You know, let's just get this thing over and over. And then, of course, my grandma went, oh, you finished that very quickly. Let me get you another piece. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, she'd love more. I'm fine. Thank you, Grandma. You see, when you eat rhubarb pie without sugar, it's really obvious, isn't it? It's like, oh, there's something missing. We need that sweetness. We need that extra ingredient. When you and I do not come to our community and we just consume And we don't give of our supernatural gift or give of our time and give of our energy. We miss you. There's a, oh, it just doesn't taste right. We love sugar. I love sugar. You know, it's it's fantastic. Apparently it's really evil, we're finding out now. As a kid, I used to have sugar sandwiches. Sugar butties, right? Yes. It's what Great Britain was built on. Sugar butties. Now, oh no, sugar is straight from Satan. It's just like you mustn't touch the stuff. But we, it tastes good. You miss it when it should be there. And, and we miss you. I miss you because I cannot do this myself. I can't, I can't do all that God is calling us as a church to do together. I cannot do it by myself. I can't visit everybody I can't spend time with everybody. I can't pray for everybody who needs prayer. I can't teach and disciple everybody who needs teaching and discipling. I physically cannot do it. It will kill me. Just like that rhubarb pie almost did away with Sarah. I can't do it. And we have a choice. We can go, well, you should. Or you need to employ somebody to do it. Because I'm not doing it. I haven't got time. And we miss you. We miss you. We need you. We need your gift. We need your loving one another. We need your personal devotion to Jesus. We need that on a daily basis. We need you. We need you. Your city needs you. Jesus put into you an empowerment that is supernatural and shocking. And we miss you if you resist and just stay on the fringes and go, "Mm, no. Because I was hurt six years ago in a church. I'm not going to get involved. You know, we all hurt. I've said this before, but I used to coach rugby. And as a coach, you always assess when somebody comes limping on, are they hurt or are they injured? Because everybody hurts. Play on. If you're injured, then yes, you need to sit out and you need to take time and you need to get better, but better you will get. That was very Yoda-like. Play on. Play on. Play on. We need you. Your team needs you. We need to hit things together. And so when we put things on, when we have prayer at the end of October at Willow One, we need you. Come pray. We need you and your gift. You're incredible. If Jesus loved you so much that he chose you for a ministry, how much more can we benefit from that? We can benefit more from Jesus as you bless and as you encourage and as you champion and as you work. And and I'm so grateful so many of you do this. But I want to exhort you, just like it says in Hebrews 10, that we're to stir one another up for good works. I'm stirring us up. Let's do this together. So if you are not part, if you're not volunteering, if you're not helping, if you're not coming with your gift and looking for ways that you can exhort and encourage, if you're coming and then assessing and then rating and then leaving, you are not going to fully abide in the love that Jesus has for you and the rest and the peace that he has for you. You are missing out. Let's not just rate and assess and leave. Let's come and see how we can actually contribute to his body. We have places filled with so many different gifts. We're designed to be together just like grandma's pie. Ephesians 4 verse 11. I want to just show you a couple of things before we pull this together. This is a very important passage in the New Testament says, and he gave, this is Jesus Paul is talking about. He, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the statute of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children. Let's just pause because Paul is fantastic at long sentences. And I wasn't even, I'm not even done. I'm only about halfway through his sentence there. Every father, every mother wants their children to grow up and thrive. If my children are still at home in their mid-40s, I've done something wrong. Now, I I mentioned I I used an extreme age because I didn't want (laughs) to, I I needed to be careful. I'm hoping that nobody, anyway, it doesn't matter. But my heart is that They mature. And they grow up. Jesus' heart for the church is that we mature and that we grow up. But he says the way that that is going to happen is by the saints being equipped for ministry. You see, the leadership, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, are their, their job, my job, is to equip the saints. The community group leader's job is to equip the saints for ministry so that we can mature, grow up, and not be tossed to and fro like children. See, that tells me that the more that you minister, the more that you are put into a place where you can actually use those Holy Spirit gifts that you've been given. You are going to mature. You're going to be stronger. And then he carries on. Is so tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, this is how it should be, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. That's the abiding in Jesus. Into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes, makes the body grow. Makes the body grow So that it builds itself up in love. We need you. You are empowered. You are gifted. And when we work together properly, the body will grow towards maturity. And if God wills it, numerically on a Sunday morning, but certainly within our community groups. It happens. So this is very convicting. Because we're so dang busy. Aren't we? Do you not think it's interesting that one of the first things I think that Satan does in order to cripple a Christian is to make sure they're really, really busy? I just don't have the time, Glenn. I'd love to, but I don't have the time. I am not saying anything here that doesn't require an adjustment in life. We have to adjust our lives. Because if we haven't got time to fulfill the commandment of Jesus, then really there is something wrong. If we haven't got time to spend time with non-Christians and share Jesus to them, there's something wrong. If we haven't got time to go to a community group and be part of a wider group of Christians, there's something wrong. If we haven't got time because we're spending all our time with our kids or, or we're doing family activities or we're doing the dad taxi thing, And we haven't got time to do the things that actually I've been empowered to do. Something's wrong. We miss you. We need you. The city needs you. People who don't know Jesus need you. So that when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. You remember, um, sorry, I'm sure you've all had the experience when you wake up in the middle of the night and for some reason you've, you've, you've turned over in such a way where you've kind of been sleeping on your arm. Have you ever had this happen to you? And then suddenly you kind of become aware that you can't actually feel your arm. Have you ever, have you ever thought how heavy your arm actually is? When you turn over and it just goes, and you have to pick it up and Am I the only one? Help me out here. Has this happened to you? Thank you. You know what? You just feel it. And the first thing I think about is, i alive. How heavy is that? It's just pure muscle. I've always read muscle is heavier than fat. And, it's, and then you kind of go, oh, I'm going to get pins and needles in a minute. Right? And then the pin and needles start arriving and your arm thaws out. And then so, you, But that initial feeling of, what happens if I never get that feeling back? It's just dead weight. He tells us here that the whole body joined and held together by every joint. We, we need what you bring. I think it's fair to say that I'm a fairly good mouth <laughs> when it comes to the body. I can't drag you guys with me. I, I need the eyes and the ears and the hands and the feet and the legs and every part of the body. But... If the body has just got to the place where it's just being carried, is it a blessing or a burden? That's what I want us to think about. Are we a blessing or are we a burden? Because if we're not careful, then, then, then we can become a burden to the body by just being dragged along by the few. Now, I am very grateful that the few is actually a pretty large group in this church. And I'm encouraging you with this, not in order to make you feel bad, but to just make you think about what could be possible. What could be possible if we as a church and a community of people, nearly 300 adults would call the South home. If 300 people made a decision that actually I'm going to contribute in any way I can, I'm going to be there, they are not going to miss me. Because a true sign of you being called to a church is if when you leave, you are actually missed. Rather than two or three months later, somebody goes, oh, I haven't seen so-and-so. That's a good sign as to whether or not you were truly part of us. Because there's some of you, if you left, I'm going to be camping out on your front lawn to make sure you don't go too far. Please don't leave. We need you. Blessing or burden? Because as I read the scripture, I see it really clearly. Paul's saying that we should be working properly together. We are designed to be a blessing, not a burden. So... Where does this happen? Does it happen on a Sunday? There's only a certain number of things that we can do. I've had people say to me, well, I'm going to go to a different church. Why is that? Well, because you won't let me lead worship. We've been here five minutes. I don't even know whether you can sing. And you're leaving because I'm not letting you lead worship. There are frontline ministry roles that understandably we need to take our time to fill. But I tell you what, there is a myriad of things that you can get involved in. We've got this beautiful ministry that, uh, that Hannah and Chad are, are really involved in, the Ministry of Presence or the Dinner for Six, where you can actually go and visit and care for people. If you've got a gift of helps or giving or mercy, go and talk to Hannah. Go and talk to Chad. They would love, and I know Brittany and Stephanie are involved with in that as well, they would love to say, hey, you know, here are some people that you can just go and love and bless and visit. That's such a great place. There are practical things to do. But let me tell you, though, where it really, really gets energized is not in the Sunday morning gathering as much as we do need help. And by the way, we really need help with our kids. I'm always reluctant to share this because I don't want to give new families the impression that we are so desperate that your kids are just running around bumping into stuff and hurting themselves because we're undermanned and under, uh, uh, in there. That's not true. But let me tell you what does happen in our children's department. The same people. It's the same people every week, pretty much every month. It's a small group of people. And it saddens me when my wife has to run around shoulder-tapping people, pleading... Please help so that we can give Nicole a Sunday morning off. If you have children, then we love that you can come and hand them over. <laughs> I get that. Oh, relax. At least for an hour or so. Go, go and go. just leave me alone. I love that. That's great. And, you, and, you, and that's a good thing as a church. But it would also be a good thing to go to Nicole and say, hey, can I sign up? Can you, can you put me in there? How can I help? Greeters, coffee bar, welcome desk, communion. There are so many different ways in a large gathering. It's important. However, your spiritual gift really, really gets empowered in community groups. That's where it really comes alive. Because now, you can use your gift in such a way where it directly affects the community. Where you can use your gift of helps or word or teaching or power gift to actually go and be in the neighborhood and it's a safe place. Because if you come up and say, hey Glenn, I feel like I've got a word for the church, I'd celebrate that, but we would talk because that's a big deal to sell everybody a word. But if you're in your small group, that's a safe place. That's a safe place to share with your community group leader. I feel like God may have given me a word. And so community group leaders, we need to, we need to make sure we give, we give room for people's gifts to be developed. Community groups are really important they are the lifeblood of this church. They are the pastoral care system of this church. They are the outreach system of this church. We are not a program-driven church. We are a community group-driven church. If you want to you use your gift, if you want to outreach, if you want to be involved in missions, if you want to be involved in pastoral care, if you want to pray more, it's community group, community group, community group. That's why I'm encouraging if you are not in one, if you don't have a community group, find one. As they said in Toy Story, if you've not got a moving buddy, get one. Because you have to, have to. This is my brain just. <laughs> Lord, help me. You have to be connected in. We need you. God is ready to grow this church. I feel it. And I'm excited by the way, over the last six weeks, I've had so many people come to me going, Yes, this is, this is what God's been saying to me as well. And there's so many of you that feel that way. So join the party. Join in, join the group, join the church in such a way where you are a blessing. So God's priority seems to be for us to devote ourselves, to abide in Jesus, to love one another, and to use our gifts, and He will cause the growth of this place. People will come to know Jesus and all are will fill this building, your homes. Your church, your everyday church, it will just filled and every day it says people were added to their number. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. And so I'm really, really looking for, I'm um, I should say, I'm really looking forward to seeing how God uses you as you step in in lots of different ways. Now we're going to have communion and I was thinking about communion and the essence of what this is about and this is a celebration ultimately of everything that I've been saying because what I'm describing is family and we don't walk away from family, We're, we're committed to family but it might be that you look at the family and you just feel distant from it, you're not part of it. I've been very burdened the last two days Um, because there's some scriptures that I've been reading in my own personal time and some really scary verses, if I'm honest, that talk about people who think they're Christians but aren't Christians. And um, you know that whole, I never knew you, but Lord, Lord, I, I did this, I did that, I never knew you. And one of the things that the scripture seems to talk about very regularly is that you will know your faith and salvation is sure because your desire to be diligent and your desire to seek after him and your desire for him will be evident. That you can't have a disinterested shrug towards the things of Christianity and church and God and be a Christian. It's just not possible. And so it might be that even this morning that, that you're listening to my words and you feel kind of cool towards it. That It's just like, I, I'm, not, I'm not part of that. And I want to encourage you that, that, that maybe, maybe you come in this morning with all sorts of burdens and shame and, and, and guilt and, and feelings of disjointed and I'm just not part of it. And, and the good news, as demonstrated by, by what we're going to do in a minute around communion, is that there is a family for you to be part of. There's an acceptance there's a connection not just with us but with God himself that God who is so holy and so loving we like the loving god we struggle with the holy god because the holy god means that he's also just but he said listen that that even though there's this huge separation that that can be bridged by Jesus love as shown in the bread and the wine his body and blood Broken on the cross. Because I cannot have connection with the family of God on my own merit. So therefore, my my sin, my guilt, my shame, the Bible says, was put on Christ who is sinless and it died with him. And then his new life, the empowerment, is given to us as Christians once we submit ourselves to the cross. And you may never have done that. You're struggling just to do your own thing in order to feel accepted. Not just accepted by God, but by accepted by the world. And you're just spinning because it's not working and you know it's not working. So when we come to communion, for those of us who have made a life commitment to Jesus, that Jesus has changed our life and we know that we are part of the family. We might feel a bit disjointed right now, but we know that we're part. This communion, these elements, the bread as represents his body dying and the the wine slash fruit juice represents his blood shed. then you are welcome to come, the scripture says. And it says, remember. So maybe you hold it and you pray and you thank God for what he did for you and you, you can just feel your spirit resonate with that because you're his. But if you don't know Jesus, the Bible's really clear, do not take this. Because this represents his sacrifice. And that's not something we just mess about with. But the good news is, the good news is, is that that is a gift for you. That you today can bow your head, close your eyes, and you can whisper a prayer and ask for forgiveness, recognizing that he died for you, that you cannot fix yourself. And the Bible is clear. He promises to forgive you and you're in The family, you're empowered. And then the adventure starts. Your purpose actually is fulfilled in this lifetime rather than struggling to find your purpose. So this is a really important part of our service. And here's what happens with me when I come and take the bread and the juice. I'm always blown away that I know the struggles I have and I certainly know who I was and the shame and the guilt that was attached to some of the things that I thought and said and did considered that I'm so thankful that all those are forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ that yeah I still struggle absolutely but his word says that he empowers me to become more and more like him day by day so when I come I'm so grateful that he would save a wretch like me and uh, Josh and the team are going to come and lead us in some worship. And, and as we worship, we're going to invite you to come. to some tables at the back as well. And you can come and get some bread and juice. And, and in your own time, don't wait for anybody to tell you when. In your own time, you can take that bread and the juice. But I encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, now is the time to pray. Father, forgive me. Change me. I need you. And if you're a Christian, Some of the stuff that I may have said this morning might have stung a little bit. I'm doing it because I love you and because I want to be faithful to the scriptures. And also doing it because I'm excited about what God's going to do. And maybe communion is just a time for you to stir up the gift, as the scripture says, that's in you. Let's pray.